From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, happy new year. We are back and welcome to episode 207 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host, executive producer, and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, it's good to be back. Oh yeah, it absolutely is. Uh 2022. It it felt like we were never gonna get here. And uh, now now we are here. And after, you know, taking that little bit of time off, I, I don't know about you, but I feel uh, extremely refreshed. Refreshed. Wow. No, I did not have all my skin replaced. Uh, I feel refreshed and excited to talk about Disney. And you know what? It can't get much worse than this introduction. So uh, we only have up to go. Yeah. So did you have a um, good Christmas and New Year? I I. I did. It was a uh, very low key by by my choice. Uh, I, you know, it's we we've talked about it on on the shows before. Uh, it's it's weird. It's weird celebrating for me uh, Christmas in in Florida. It just does not. It does not compute with my brain that it's warm outside. But uh, you know, had went to a couple family get-togethers and you know got to spend a lot of time with my wife. Just uh, just the two of us having some peace and tranquility in between all of the family moments. And yeah, I ate a lot of cheese, had way too much to drink, and now I'm I'm regretting it all and trying to lose those uh, those extra pounds that were put on throughout the holidays. But how 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 was your holiday? season it was very nice i spent christmas with carol's family and it was was wonderful just absolutely wonderful there was no drama um it's it's nice to see all the nieces and nephews you know settled in their lives and some of them married some of them uh were expecting announcements in 2022 and uh and then um you know, my my son announced that that he and his wife have bought a house, mm-hmm. and so that that's big news. Very happy about that. And uh, and New Year's, you know, I had a few friends over, and and it was very nice. It was just lovely. Made dinner, and uh, and all that. And then the day after Christmas, Boxing Day, I always host um, tea for um, my wife's family. And all that. And so that was nice. That's a much smaller group. It's sort of whomever's around that day. And so that was nice. I came home with a lot of extra treats. And so like you, I, I have, I have some, um, weight to shed yeah. <laughs> this year. Yeah. And the worst part about it is, you know, I, I feel like I'm constantly immersed in technology and, and, what I do for a living that I kind of like vowed to myself that this year I'm watching, you know, I'm catching up on shows that I've been wanting to watch for a long time and I I need to read way more. So I, last year was my worst year 
uh, of reading in quite a while. And a lot of that is because I keep choosing books that I'm not into. And rather than just put them down and say, you know what, it's not the right time to read this. I just like try to push through and, and continually lose interest. And so uh, I need to, I, this year, I just want to read more. I want to, I want to watch more, watch more things that I've had on my list for a while that I don't want to completely forget about and, and miss out on one day. And, uh, yeah, I, I, that did not help because I started that goal, uh, right after Christmas going in through New Year's. And I'm like, okay, well, feeling terrible about myself right now. And, uh, next thing I'm doing is I'm sitting on my butt reading <laughs> and, and watching <laughs> TV. <is> so. <laughs> oh, reading is good. Totally it is. Good. It's helping. It's exercising my brain at the very mm-hmm. least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I made the mistake of, uh, when I was at Costco buying, this tin that could feed a a small army of those the walkers shortbread cookies oh yeah i love shortbread yeah this thing is huge and and uh and so i would enjoy a couple of cookies with hot cocoa with whipped cream once in a while peppermint schnapps in it and that was my undoing (laughs) yeah At a point, we finally had to take all of the cookies that we have and just like we openly, we purposely opened them all up so that way they would go stale. So we would have to get rid of them. (laughs) That's a way to do it. I need need them gone. I I really don't want to offend my mom for all her delicious cookies she made or uh, the the cookies that we, we had from other places and people but i'm like i we we've got to get rid of it like 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 the wonderful chocolates that you sent me that i i do love like at least with those i have finally figured out how to how to uh contain my (laughs) urges to just eat the entire thing i know how to now space it out and enjoy it over time but uh, when I'm when I'm having eggnog and I'm having other drinks where a cookie just pairs perfectly, it it just gets too dangerous. <laughs> did you see on uh, I think it was CBS Sunday Morning they did a whole little segment on cease candies, I candies that, that I sent you. No. Uh, it's on YouTube. I'll send you a link because cease is celebrating its hundredth anniversary oh, well, yeah no i'd love and, to watch it yeah. and, and they went back into the history of how it all started and how they're you know and it did start you know that little lady you see on the box that i send you mm-hmm. those are her recipes <laughs> it started in her kitchen oh. and and her grandson um got used the recipes to start the first candy shop and then it grew from there and so I- it's a really interesting story I look so, forward to enjoying some chocolates while watching that. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, well, enough of that because the Valentine's candies are already in the stores. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Too true. Yeah. Well, well, in this episode, we're going to take a spin on the oldest attractions at both Disneyland and Walt Disney World, and they're part of Walt Disney's earliest ideas for Disneyland. Those are the carousels in Disneyland and Magic Kingdom's Fantasyland. Now, the idea for having a carousel in the parks was Walt's idea, but did you ever consider how carousels got their start? Well, according to MouseEarsTV.com, 
Carousels have their origin in the 12th century as a game on horseback that Arabian warriors participated in to increase their riding and coordination skills. In this game, the warriors would toss around a clay-perfumed ball, and whoever dropped the ball not only lost the game, but also shattered the ball, covering themselves in its scent. Well, when the Italians witnessed the game, they called the spectacle Carousella, or Little War. And a Little War game became extremely popular and spread across Europe. Its height of popularity was achieved in 1662, when King Louis XIV of France turned it into a royal event that was called Le Grand Carousel. Since Le Grand Carousel was the pinnacle of the competitions, participants invented a method of practice before participating. So they jousted from the backs of wooden horses, which rotated around a pole as they tried to snatch a hanging ring with their lances. And it was from this little war practice that carousels eventually evolved into the joyful turntables of beautifully decorated wooden horses, sometimes with a catch-the-brass-ring game. And when the rides went from mule-powered to steam-powered, early reporters in 1863 were amazed that the daring riders are not shot off like cannonball and driven half into the middle of next month. So, did you ever ride a carousel where they still had that brass ring game? I have never actually had the chance to to ride one of those. Um, I feel like... Yeah, I feel like there was one that was close by me when I was growing up in Pennsylvania. Um, it's, I, and I say that in a relative way because, you know, Pennsylvania is kind of a, a long state, <laughs> much mm-hmm. like, much like you saying, uh, up in, up in northern central California that, you know, it's very close by to you is southern California, but I, I think it was like, nobles knobles or something like that in pennsylvania i apologize that i am not uh, an expert on all of the little amusement parks in pennsylvania but i i remember that i think it was that park that had a brass ring one but never never had the chance to experience it probably would be too terrified that my fingers would cut off anyway <laughs> so uh, maybe that's a good thing i'm not sure there, uh, There is a wonderful carousel at Santa Cruz Beach and Boardwalk, and I would go there every year with friends. And then when I was a teacher in San Francisco, the day, the Saturday after school ended, a bunch of us teachers would drive up there, picnic on the beach, and go to the beach and boardwalk. And I continue that tradition with my children. We would always go up. I'd take them for the day to Santa Cruz. And all that. And this was a traditional beach and boardwalk, but their carousel had the brass ring. And as you went around, you had to be on the outside horse, of course. You had to lean out with your finger. You had to scoop up the brass ring. And then you had this, there was a game. You, cause they had to get their brass rings back. You threw it and you tried to throw it into a little hole. And I think it was like a clown face. And if you got it into his mouth, his red nose lit up. Ah. And it was great fun. I got it. I actually got it in there a few times. The problem is, you know, I I throw with my left hand, and you have to throw with your right hand to get it in there. But um, I still managed to get it in there a few times. Yeah, I it's 
I, I think it's cool. Like I I really um I, I really wish I had the chance to to try it sometime. But like I said, I mean I'm, uh, my fingers would be the first uh, worrisome thing. And then also I I don't think I'd want to actually give it up. Um I would I would be the person <laughs> who who does want to keep it as a souvenir or a memento, so I that would that would be a hard battle for me because yeah I'm I'm going to you know be buried in all my crap like that that I collect one day. <laughs> uh, but it was great fun. <clears throat> I hope they still do that. Yeah. I'm not sure. I haven't been at Beach and Boardwalk since my children graduated from college, so it's been a while. Yeah. yeah. But Walt Disney often told a story about being inspired to build a park that could be enjoyed by all families when he took his daughters, Diane and Sharon, to the Griffith Park merry-go-round in the North Hills of Los Angeles. Now, the Griffith Park merry-go-round has been called the carousel that started Disneyland. And Walt liked this merry-go-round so much that he asked the owner at the time, Ross Davis, to find another one just like it. But Ross reported that the Spillman Carousel with 68 all-jumping horses was one of a kind. But Walt continued his plans to have a carousel in his park. Now, according to Bill Jones, who worked in the studio's character model department in 1939, Walt assigned him and his brother to work on a confidential project. And Walt told the brothers about his family's visits to Griffith Park, the merry-go-round, and his ideas for a better family park. And according to Bill Jones in an interview with E-Ticket magazine, Walt said, A park should be designed for total family enjoyment. Besides a merry-go-round, there could be other rides, but they should all be safe and attractive. The ground should be landscaped, cleaned, and well-maintained. These are my thoughts on the subject. See what you can do to develop them, and I'll check back with you every few days. Based on this interview with Bill Jones, we learned that a merry-go-round was at the top of Walt's list of attractions for his family park. A carousel with the double R spelling meant to invoke a medieval feel appeared in Harper Goff's 1951 sketches of a Mickey Mouse park for Walt. Now, during Disneyland's construction, Walt described the carousel that was to be included in the park to reporters. In the middle will be King Arthur Carousel with leaping horses, not just trotting, but all of them leaping. Now, Ross Davis's search for a carousel for Walt's park led to William Denzel in Philadelphia, who was a leading manufacturer of American carousels. In their factory was a 1922 carousel that had run for decades at Sunnyside Park in Toronto, Canada, until the park was torn down in 1955. It was a menagerie-style carousel with giraffes, deer, cats, and horses, and was decorated with carved jester heads, shields, and gold-leaf cherubs, typical of denso carousels of the early 1920s, but some store sources that I read state that the carousel was actually built in 1875, and it was like half and half. Some said 1922, some said 1875, but apparently the style of this carousel leans more toward the early 1920s style of Denzel carousels. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it doesn't seem like it's that 
you know, it doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal if, between those two. But I mean, that's that's fifty years. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. that's quite a difference. It's like, you know, I, I don't want to put it on the the same plane as like some technology, but it, taking a roller coaster from fifty years ago, taking a Matterhorn and placing it against a roller coaster that's built today. I mean, it's it's uh, stylistically, you know, just it changes if we're not even talking about the way the technology has changed as well, too. So uh, it's a, that's interesting. I hope one day we get oh, like yeah. an official answer to it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think uh, probably D23, their site gives the official would give the official date. And I can't remember which date they gave. So. And uh, even if it's not the real answer. That's the official one they're given. <laughs> That's the official one, yeah. So Now, the horses were three abreast, with the center row all standers. However, Walt wanted his carousel to be all horses, and he wanted them four abreast and all jumpers, like the Griffith Park carousel that held so many fond memories for himself and his family. Walt trusted Ross Davis to acquire the carousel, have it dismantled and shipped to Los Angeles, where Walt saw it for the first time. Walt paid $22,500 for the carousel. And Ross Davis supervised the repair and repainting of all the horses. Arrow Development engineered new crankshafts to operate the rows of horses. And as compensation for his work, Ross Davis was given the unused figures that included the exotic animals. The chariots on the carousel were repurposed as carriages for the Casey Jr. Circus train attraction, as well as some of the ornamentation from the carousel was um, repurposed for the Casey Jr. Circus train attraction. Now, since Walt wanted all his horses to be jumpers that pranced and leaped and all crank-driven, Ross Davis and his crew rebuilt the standards into jumpers. However, with the removal of the exotic animal figures, chariots, and converting the carousel from having horses three abreast to four, it meant they were short of horses. Luckily, a variety of carousel horses by other manufacturers were found in storage at Coney Island. Additional dent cell horses were purchased from Whitney's Playland at the Beach in San Francisco. That was not far from where I grew up and was born and raised, and I would go to that amusement park all the time oh, wow. and they had a wonderful carousel there a beautiful carousel yeah. that's neat mm-hmm. yeah now the theme for Fantasyland was to be the romance of life in the middle ages and king arthur carousel was designed to continue the story of the medieval history of the merry-go-round lances as support posts for the canopy and coat of arms on shields were added to the carousel the horses were painted to depict leather and fabric armor, jewels, and other adornments. Now, most traditional merry-go-rounds have horse figures of different size and quality, with the largest and most ornate on the outside row. Walt insisted all 72 horses on his carousel be outside horses and interchangeable. Whilst 72 horses are always on the carousel, The park actually had 85 horses to allow for continuous maintenance with four-on, four-off schedule, which explains why guests may notice horses appearing in different places on the carousel 
over the years. Do you know if that's a practice that still happens? Because there's uh, mm-hmm. sorry, no, they are still doing it. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I'll be completely honest. While I always look at the carousel, I uh, you know in Magic Kingdom, I I see that one the most, but Disneyland's like I. I also know, I feel like I know that one well, because I think I even take the time to stare at that more, but I don't think I've ever, you know, played that game where I look at it long enough to start memorizing where the different horses are, uh, besides, like, seeing it as it's moving around and saying, okay, I like that, I like the look of that horse, I want to get on that one the next time it comes around, so I need to know, like, I need to go right over there so I can be able to get on that one right away, but I don't think I've ever paid that much attention to it but now i kind of want to yeah disneyland guests are a whole different breed <laughs> from I, magic kingdom guests that, that is very <laughs> true so it's uh, and i mean it makes sense as a person who used to work in theme parks you know i know that it literally happens all the time when you not all ride vehicles just work the same way and it's something like the carousel i feel like yeah rarely ever see like tape put up over one saying don't use that one so every now and then everything needs maintenance so it only makes sense it's just like i I don't know because of the nature of the carousel i never like really stopped to think yeah do they have extra horses that they can just change out like how do they do that so uh well at the very least you impressed me with this so congratulations Oh, well, thank you. But, you know, when I was a little boy, at the Playland Carousel in San Francisco Zoo, although it was called Flyshacker Zoo when I was little, they both have magnificent carousels. And I had my favorite horses when I was little. But I was a little tightly wound when I was a boy. <laughs> but, um, I, but no, I had my favorite horses. that I And I had to have backups because other children would get on oh. them. But... um yeah, it's one of my favorite things about still doing the carousel at the Disney parks is, uh, you know, it, it, whether regardless of what type it is, if it's one of the Kingdom Park ones or one like uh, the Critter Carousel in Disney California Adventure, it's it's always endearing hearing the kids like saying like, oh, I want th- I want that green one. I want that blue one. I want that mm-hmm. pink one. And like, yeah, hear them getting so excited about it. But then as an adult, too, you also know you're doing the exact same thing, saying, oh, mm-hmm. that one, I want that one. I, I know, I know for sure I want that. And uh, it's it's one of those endearing things about carousels is that we, we all find a way to manage to, to pick a favorite one, even if it's in the moment or on repeat visits. Oh, yeah. And if it was a menagerie carousel, I always went to the tiger because there was always a tiger. Oh. That's my favorite animal. Or the ostrich because they were usually one of the tallest. So Makes sense. I'm terrified like of ostriches, though. So you'll, <laughs> you'll never see me on one of those. <laughs> oh, well, you, so not even, not even if they invite you to be in the remake of Swiss Family Robinson, you know, nope. you could ride the ostrich. I, I used to have a recurring nightmare that an ostrich would peck me to death and i don't know where it came from i it's just they're really big those necks the way they can move them the (laughs) the pointy beak it just i am terrified of them it's one of the only things that i truly am afraid of (laughs) well i've been at animal kingdom i've been on the safari where an ostrich has stopped our vehicle 
and because it got mad at the vehicle. Yeah. <laughs> so they were scared. I can understand. They can be aggressive. Yep. Yeah. And they run fast. That's mm-hmm. even worse. They do. Well, Disney artist Bruce Bushman so admired the vintage Denzel carvings and running boards that he did not want to remove them. So he preserved the 1920s vintage outer rim of the carousel by designing a high-peaked canopy to divert guests' attention to the 72 carousel horses. Now, in the late 1950s, Walt approached Bud Hurlbut. He's the ride designer and an owner of Knott's Berry Farm for help in re- building replacement bull gears for the carousel. The electric brake on the carousel had stopped the ride too quickly and broke the gear teeth out. Now, Bud Hurlbut had purchased a similar Denzel carousel for Knott's Berry Farm six years earlier, and when it was delivered, its bull gears were missing. So Bud consulted an old machinery handbook and built the gears himself. Walt knew Bud had made the gears and asked for Bud's assistance. Bud still had the patterns and got them cast and machined very quickly. And as a result, King Arthur's carousel was down for only a few days. Now, guests had to provide an A coupon to ride King Arthur's carousel. And for the first 15 years, the carousel horses were painted in shades of tan, black, gray, and auburn, sort of a reddish brown. However, children took so long selecting the color of the horse they wanted to ride that John Hench and Kim Irvine selected Arctic White in late 1975 for the color of all the horses. Uh, According to Kim Irvine, John Hench felt all children wanted to ride a white horse, like the young King Arthur, and the white horses on carousels were always considered the hero horse. I, I I like I like the look of the horses. I just think it's funny. Mm-hmm. That it's like okay, we'll no longer make them uh, have to take too long selecting between tan, black, gray, auburn. Now we will just like you know. Now everyone will fight over the colors and what's actually on the different crests of all the yes, horses. That exactly, they go so it's still the same problem. But you know, the uniform look. Uh, it it does. You know it. there's something to be said about that too but oh to be able to go back in time to see when they were all different colors i would have loved to have seen that Mm -hmm. yeah well when i was a boy yeah i remember that i'm sure there's photos out there i'm 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 sure it's if only we had the internet (laughs) i've had my old guidebooks i'm sure i have i have really old disneyland guidebooks like the first one and i'm sure that there's photos of the carousel in that so now at the same time the carousel canopy was changed and nine hand-painted panels telling the story of princess aurora replaced the original series of mirrors on the center pole this was done to link the carousel with the sleeping beauty walkthrough attraction inside the castle now when you ride the carousel You may notice the right side of the horse that faces outward is carved and jeweled with intricate detail. This is known as the horse's romance side. The Fantasyland horses all have carved decorations that include saddles and blankets, bits and bridles, colorful breast collars, and bands in many colors and designs. You will also see variations in their manes and tails. 
And, and every single one is unique. So it's traditional to classify horses by body positions and character traits. So a horse with one ear forward and one ear back is called a listener. Horses with heads held back and eyes upward are stargazers. A horse with a heavy forelock blown straight up is a topknot pony. And a horse with all four feet in the air is a jumper. And that is what all Disneyland horses are. Denzel and other carousel manufacturers often had a lead horse, which showcased the finest artistry of their lead woodcarver. And I bet you know which is the lead horse, Craig, on King Arthur's carousel. He gets a lot of attention. Again, it jingles. That's right. It's jingles. And he is considered the most beautiful of all the Disneyland horses. Jingles has carved flowers in his mane and forelock, straps of silver and gold bells on his neck and sides, and is considered to have the most stately poise of all the horses. It's rumored that Jingles was Lillian Disney's favorite horse. Now, for Disneyland's 50th anniversary in 2005, Jingles was repainted gold from nose to tail, trimmed an 18-carat gold leaf, and set apart as a photo opportunity near the queue for Dumbo the Flying Elephant. When Jingles was reinstalled as lead horse after the Year of a Million Dreams campaign, major portions of Jingles were painted over in a new pastel color theme, except where the gold bells and trim showed through, with a translucent treatment of the rosettes on Jingles' head. Decorative detail was painted on the quarter-sheet coat of arms representing the talking parrot-handled umbrella from Mary Poppins, on the saddle flap, a decorative crest was added with the monogram J.A., a bird perched on high-buttoned shoes, a silhouette of Mary in flight, and the number 50, representing the 50th anniversary of this original Disneyland attraction. Jingles was then dedicated to Julie Andrews during a special ceremony on April 8, 2008 as Honorary Ambassador with her title painted beneath the hidden Mickey on her saddlebag. It is uh, my favorite carousel mm-hmm. horse like so many people out there. And uh, the, the fun fact for me on this one is that uh, I back in 2013, that was... My first trip to Disneyland with with my wife Kylie, and you know, it was the the hope was that I was going to uh, propose to her on that trip, and oh. uh, unfortunately, I did not I did not find a ring in time to for us to go on that trip. I just I, you know and did some browsing and didn't see the one that kind of caught my eye with it and. Uh, it, it was one of those things of like, you know what, it's it not meant to be. If I can't find the ring, then clearly I wasn't supposed to be. And then we had just the most fantastic trip. But then, like, the, the pinnacle of the trip was uh, on our final day, uh, we were being rushed around the park. And I say that in the most loving and endearing way. Uh, we were being rushed around the park by Mary Jo, Nancy, and Nancy's girls uh, being taken to everywhere as they were playing tour guide to us. And uh, we 
went one of the last things we did was go on the carousel and you know kylie loves mary poppins and and so she got to ride on jingles and i was riding beside her and she was just like so elated and happy and i was like it was one of those instants that i knew i was like shoot if i had a ring this is this is when i would have pulled it out on the carousel even though it would have been ridiculous but like mary joe and nancy both thought it was the cutest thing in the world so they were taking photos of it all and like i I still know i have one of one of the photos of us kissing while we're riding the carousel Uh, it's like ah as you're going up and down you managed to meet in the middle somewhere you know that is the truth (laughs) and the best part about it is if i would have just been able to do it in that moment uh, i would not be getting crap now years and years later for being so nervous in the moment that i didn't get down on one knee and i tried to shove the ring on the wrong finger so <laughs> I, I, I wish it would have happened but yeah jingles jingles is very special to, to oh that's very sweet what a yeah. wonderful story see now if they had a brass ring grabbed a brass ring I, uh feature on there you could have just grabbed a ring I and could've. put it right on her finger. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I needed in that moment. But no, <laughs> I I so anytime I have to travel to Disneyland without Kylie, which is you know quite often with what we do, uh, I will make sure that I go on the carousel at least once during that trip, and I ride I ride jingles for oh, her since great. she can't be there with me. <laughs> well, you know, jingles is not the only horse with a name. If you go to City Hall. You can obtain a list of all the horses' names. The names of the horses in alphabetical order are Alma, Arabian Knight, Avanti, Baby, Bell, Bruce, Centurion, Checkers, Checkers Jr., Champion, Chodus, Cinch, Copper, Crown Jewel, Crusader, Dagger, Daisy, Dante, Duke, Eagle Scout, Eleanor, Elroy, Emerald, Fern, Forish, Frenchie, Galaxy, Gypsy, Hal, Ivy, Jester, Jingles, of course, Kaleidoscope, King Richard, Lance, Leo, Leprechaun, Lucifer's Rose, Lunatic, National Velvet, Patches, Pegasus, Penny, Queenie, Rally, Red Devil, Renaissance, Sapphire, Saxon, Screaming Eagle, Seabiscuit, Sir Lancelot, St. Patrick, Steamer, Tartan, Tassel, Testy Pat, Thistle, Tiny, Topaz, Tulip, Turbo, Eunice, and Valence. Hmm. I, I mean, as much as I love Jingles, I, I feel like I have other favorites now based on names. <laughs> uh, sp- specifically, something about National Velvet, Lucifer's Rose, Lucifer's and, Rose, and, and yes. Testy Pat. Oh. <laughs> Speak to me in a way. Not sure it's, why. It's funny. Carol's um, mother's name is Pat. <laughs> That's funny. But she is not testy. Good. I got a f- Lucifer's rose. I've got to find out if there's actually a rose bush named Lucifer's rose and plant it in my garden. <laughs> there's something just haunting about it that uh, makes me want to ride on that horse. So I want to know which one it is. Yeah, it's See what, probably what? the smallest inside horse that I'll look like a giant when I'm riding on yeah. it. <laughs> well, uh, before before we move on, I do want to just update. I did look up a photo of uh, the horses when they were the different colors, and uh-huh. I'm not going to lie. I actually prefer 
the the color scheme that they they have on them now. I feel like something about the older color scheme just makes the horses look like even more fake. I mean, it, at the end of the day, yeah, they're 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 fabricated horses, but something about the colors just doesn't feel as natural as it does with the with how they look now. Well, so. they they certainly pop more yeah, now. Yeah, that's they did that's back the then. perfect descriptor. They pop. Mm-hmm. Now, as part of the new Fantasyland, the carousel was relocated to where the Mad Tea Party teacups had been so as to make more space in the castle courtyard. According to Tony Baxter, who is the lead show designer for New Fantasyland, Fantasyland was very crowded even back then, and they had to find a way to make more space so they could expand the length of the dark rides by 25%. So Snow White was expanded into the in the back into area that had once been nature's wonderland. Mr. Toad and Peter Pan were brought forward into the courtyard. So a longer track and new scenes could be added. And the teacups were moved near the Alice in Wonderland attraction to create an Alice Miniland. And Dumbo was moved to the former location of Captain Hook's pirate ship in Skull Rock. The carousel was given a new steel canopy and landscaped with stone planters and new lighting, so it had a more permanent feel to it, because previously it was just there surrounded by concrete. Uh, to continue the story of King Arthur, a sword and a stone show was created with the carousel in the background. In 2003, a wheelchair-accessible chariot and ramp were installed, reducing the number of horses from 72 to 68. And the turntable was also rebuilt, and a new computerized operating console installed, which halts the carousel in the same place each time. And in 2010, the stirrups of the outer horses were replaced to include lower loops to increase accessibility. So let's go for a spin on King Arthur's Carousel. So let's choose and climb aboard our horse and belt ourselves on it. Of course, Craig, you're on jingles. I know. I'm, I'm going to have to change it. I want National Velvet, I think. You do? Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to ride Lucifer's Rose. I have to find him. So, so we'll hear a single bell that signals the final safety walk inspection by the cast members. And they help secure children whose feet don't reach the stirrups, make sure adults and small children on outside horses are standing on the inside, and ensure no guests are still walking in between the horses. We hear the bell ring twice and the platform begins its slow counterclockwise rotation and the horses begin their movement up and down. Now, the music we hear is actually a recording taken from the original carousel band organ, which is on display behind Dumbo the Flying Elephants. Our ride lasts about two minutes as we travel 4.4 miles per hour. And during your ride, be sure to take note of the beautiful carvings of your unique horse. Now, when Walt Disney passed in December 1966, the land for the Florida project had been purchased, but his Imagineers and designers had not yet begun work on plans for what would become the Magic Kingdom. When they did, having a carousel was at the top of their list, and they remembered Walt's admonition that this theme park was to be bigger and better. So their search for a carousel led them to Olympic Park in Maplewood, New Jersey, that was scheduled for demolition. 
their carousel was the largest. It was 60 feet in diameter with 72 maple-carved horses and two custom-built chariots. The carousel was built in 1917 by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company, which was known for creating some of the most beautiful horses of its time. The carousel was named the Liberty Carousel, and the 72 distinctly American horses were black, brown, gray, white, and featured saddles and adornments celebrating the American frontier. There were also carved figures of Lady Liberty holding shields with red, white, and blue flag emblems decorating the interior top circle. There were 18 landscape paintings of American scenery and golden American eagles were carved below the running board. The Liberty Carousel was carved by German and Italian carvers to express their patriotism that was prevalent in the United States following World War I. The Philadelphia Toboggan Company built 89 carousels until the Great Depression in 1929. And according to their website, 29 of the carousels are still in active use, including several Six Flag parks like Magic Mountain, also in Hershey Park, Santa Monica Pier, Carowinds, and Kings Island. And if you go to their site, they list all of where these all the carousels are located and now they build uh wooden roller coasters oh very yeah yeah that's awesome now i I know i've done the one at uh king's island for sure i have two actually i don't remember if i've done the hershey park one i've only been to hershey once and i don't think i did because i don't think we had any kids with us that day but yeah. who knows? I might have. I was probably drinking. I I've, <laughs> I've ridden Magic Mountain in Santa Monica Piers. Oh, nice. So. Yeah, now, the Liberty Carousel was number 46 out of the 89. And it was first operated in the Detroit Palace Garden Park until 1928, when it was repaired and refurbished and sent to Olympic Park in Maplewood, New Jersey. When Olympic Park closed in 1965, the carousel had fallen into such disrepair it was planned to sell the carousel horses and decorations to collectors. That is until 1967, when Disney purchased the carousel and had it shipped to Disney Central Shops. Arrow Development, and in 1960, Disney bought one-third interest in Arrow Development. Um, they created new engineering drawings for the mechanism and horses. When the craftsmen removed the layers of decades-old paint and grime, they were astonished by the detail and artistry of the horses. They spent months restoring the horses by carefully sanding them down to the wood, taking care not to lose any of the detail that was unique to each horse. Molds were made of 18 horses to make fiberglass copies for a new Disney carousel being built for Tokyo Disneyland, and also for use as temporary stand-ins when original Maplewood horses are removed for repairs. Then the horses are primed and painted Arctic white, and there were two reasons for painting these horses white. Firstly, This was to be named Cinderella's Golden Carousel, and in the film, Cinderella's coach was pulled by white horses. In 
The second reason was the same for painting the horses white on King Arthur's carousel. It reduced the time guests took in selecting a horse, and it was believed everyone wanted to ride a white hero horse. The chariots were removed and replaced with additional antique horses made by the Denzel Company and the Parker Company, which brought the total number of horses on the carousel to 90. The location of the chariots was forgotten until 1997, when one of the chariots was discovered in a warehouse, restored, and reinstalled on the carousel, reducing the number of horses to 87. The ride lasts two minutes, and the Calliope plays organ-based Disney classic tunes. The 18 hand-painted scenes telling the story of Cinderella replace the original American scenery landscape paintings. These panels were painted by the artist who worked on the original film. The carousel was repainted to match the blue, pink, and purple Cinderella aesthetic, and accents on the horses were painted with 23-karat gold leaf, silver, and bronze. And the carousel has over 2,000 popcorn lights, causing it to be brilliantly lit at night. When the carousel was installed in Fantasyland, it was placed so the first thing you see when you walk through Cinderella Castle would be the carousel. However, when Roy Disney was standing on Main Street, looking at Cinderella Castle, he discovered the carousel was off-center and ordered it to be picked up and moved eight inches so it would be properly centered. Like at Disneyland, the carousel horses are in a perpetual cycle of use and repair, which scheduled maintenance involves completely stripping each horse down to the primer and repainting it along with completing any other needed repairs. So there could be a time when you're actually riding a fiberglass horse rather than a maple wood horse. Mm, that's I, Now I'm just going to have to keep riding it over and over again mm-hmm. until I can, I can feel the, the difference. As I'm riding the steeds. Mm-hmm. Now there's a challenge for you now. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never be able to tell. <laughs> so, and maybe if you knock on them. Uh, that, that's literally what I was thinking. But even mm-hmm. then, I'm that idiot who uh, knocks on their wall trying to find a stud. And like, yep, I've got it. And then punch that nail right through. <laughs> Just goes through drywall. Yeah, so. I do the same thing. Because <laughs> I use a hammer to knock. So. <laughs> Now, there has been a story promoted by cast members and in Disney publications that one of the horses on the carousel Cinderella's horse. Have you heard this story, Craig? No, I have not heard this story. I hadn't heard this until I started doing my research. This horse has a golden bow on its tail, but it's in the second rank. Cinderella has been depicted riding a horse in collectible sculptures and artwork. However, I don't know. I don't know how to properly pronounce this name. I don't know if you do, Craig. It's Isle Vote. I will guess is as good as mine there. Yeah. Okay. So so my apologies to Isle. to the family <laughs> if I've pronounced this wrong and to her friends. Anyway, she worked with John Hench to restore the carousel and said in an interview that she doubts this story because uh, Cinderella's horse would be more elaborately decorated than the other horses. That her horse would not be in an inner row. And Cinderella did not ride a horse in the film. So, 
I, I was just going to say, I the only thing I would disagree, and I don't want it to become like a uh, you know a, a saying that you know guys should be riding on the outside and then females on the inner horses because you know as they they go in they they get a little bit smaller but that's the you know i i feel like that might that might be part of what drove whoever came up with this story to kind of like weave that in saying well yeah that's naturally where they would but it, it just feels made up yeah, yeah. And when Imagineers rewrote the backstory of the carousel in 2010, they did not include any reference to Cinderella's horse. Good. Good. <laughs> in 2010, the name of the carousel was changed to Prince Charming Regal Carousel with this new backstory. And it was designed to tell the rest of the Cinderella story that inspired the carousel. Following their fairy tale romance and happily ever after wedding, Cinderella and Prince Charming took up residence in Cinderella's castle. With peace throughout the kingdom, Prince Charming had time to practice for jousting tournaments. In the countryside near the castle, he built a training device of carved horses on which he could practice the art of ring spearing, a tournament event in which a knight rides his horse full speed, lance in hand, towards a small ring hanging from a tree limb with the object of spearing the ring. This event was known by various names throughout the land, but generally came to be called Carousel. The carousel device drew the attention of the villagers, who wanted to take a turn on this amazing spinning contraption. So Prince Charming had a second carousel constructed closer to the castle, where everyone could take a spin on this wondrous invention. Instead of a working knight's training device, however, this new carousel is more defitting its re- befitting its regal location in the carousel courtyard. Its rustic training horses are placed with ornately decorated prancing steeds, adorned with golden helmets and shields, flower garlands, feathers, and other festoons. Prince Charming invites one and all to test their horsemanship skills and to enjoy their own happy ending. So, so are you a fan of this new backstory? I did not need it. <laughs> I was not one of the people who asked for it, but you know, at the same time too, we always say like, you know, the, the the saying goes that everything at Disney has a backstory. So I I'm glad that they added it in that way. But you know, at the end of the day, a carousel is a carousel. That's part of what makes it so classic is the simplicity of it and mm-hmm. uh, the wonder in it. So. I could have just been happy them leaving it as it it was in terms of the story and just making sure it's always uh, maintained and, and kept looking beautiful like, like it does right now during the, the 50th anniversary celebration, adding all these golden touches to it uh, just just it makes it look even better. But, I don't, you know, with the story being what it is and having all the touches of Cinderella on it, I then get immediately taken out of it as soon as I start hearing Be Our Guest uh, end up being the song that's playing on it or one of the other songs. So I I, I have mixed feelings, I guess, to say uh, on on the backstory and the, the whole story it tries to tell. It's just, it's a little confusing for me. I think they need to go back to the drawing board, figure something new out. <laughs> but they did try to bring in the story I told in the beginning, how carousels originated 
They did a little of that. I so th- I thought that was a nice yeah. touch. I'm not I'm not completely completely trying to cut them down, but I just want them to do better. And well, who knows? Maybe in another 50 years so it'll it'll <laughs> be someone else's name. We can only hope. Well, in 1959, it was reported there were 4,200 operating carousels in the United States. Today it is believed that there are less than 170. The carousels in the Disney parks receive the finest care and maintenance and are in no danger of being demolished. A majority of guests most likely walk past these mechanized works of art, thinking they are rides for young children. But it's my hope that today's episode has given you a new appreciation of the work that went into creating and restoring these carousels. We'll encourage you to ride the carousel on your next visit. Not only to admire the artistry and craftsmanship of the original carvers and of the Imagineers who restored the carousels and infused them with Disney magic, but to honor Walt Disney, who sat on a bench watching his daughters ride a carousel as he worked out his plans for a park that everyone in the family could enjoy together. The carousel may be the attraction that best captures the spirit and dreams of Walt Disney. And now it's time for This Week in Disney History. Well, you know, Craig, it's a new year, and it's time for maybe a new change. Yeah. Of course, compared to, I don't know what an old change would be, but um, we, uh, we talked and thought it was time to change up This Week in Disney History. You know, for years now, we've been doing this as a contest and we thought let's try to do something a little different here and what we decided we were going to do is we were going to go through we 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 have our resources we were going to go through and for this week both Craig and I would choose an event that we found noteworthy or meaningful um, to us, and we would share it with you, talk about it a bit, and and why we chose this, yeah. and w- and what our thoughts on it are. So, so Craig, do you want me to go first this week, or do you want to go first with yours? You know, Michael, I want you to go first only because I had to guess what week we were covering based on <laughs> uh, how we would do our trivia in the past. So just in case I chose something for the previous week, I, I want to give myself time to uh, go back to the drawing board. But I think I think I nailed it. Okay, great. Well, you know what? I'm, I chose January 15th, 1990, because it was on this day that then-CEO Michael Eisner announced his plans to expand the Walt Disney World theme parks to add a fourth park during the 1990s. He also stated that a pavilion from the Soviet Union will hopefully be added to Epcot, and that 16 new attractions are planned for the Disney MGM Studios. I don't know if they ever got to 16. But... but I chose this because this was really when the the Disney company that we know now began in the sense that it was it, Walt Disney World, you know, had its two theme parks and it had its handful of resorts and Michael Eisner decided he was going to grow this. 
this was really going to be a world. It also meant change relationships with um, the hotels and motor inn owners of Orlando because it was Michael's desire that people were not going to leave the park to to the resort area to go stay off property. Mm-hmm. He wanted everybody there. And that was his goal, that people would not leave the Walt Disney Resort area. So this is sort of where that this is the date that all began. Yeah. I I completely agree with you on it. And I mean for for better or for worse, uh, you know, right now is is uh, more more Walt Disney World in particular fans are uh fatigued with some of the uh, changes that have taken place over the past couple of years and uh, not feeling like their, their value is their monetary value that they're putting out is necessarily worth everything that, that it's taking to actually get down here for these vacations and, and starting to think about, do I want to do it at all? Do I want to travel to Walt Disney World at all? Do I want to go outside of Walt Disney World and explore more of what Orlando has? And like, you know, that's that's at the point that it is kind of at right now. But like the seeds to to try to keep that from happening were planted all the way back then with this event and uh it's it's interesting to see how it's it's all played out but uh it definitely was was the right idea for sure and it's uh you know it it just sometimes things don't always go the way you plan (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's true that's true so what what did you select? Well, luckily mine is safe because it was from <laughs> uh, two days before yours on January 13th. And uh, on uh, this was the date that uh, the Legacy Collection uh, Fantasia, the uh, four-disc CD uh, that they were releasing in a big series, <laughs> that's the day that it was actually released as part of the... Uh, celebration of the 75th anniversary of Fantasia and uh, the collection as I believe I just said took place over four discs Um, there was the original recordings uh, included on it and then the 1982 re-recordings that they had and special features to it um, uh, special extra recordings of songs that you don't necessarily see in the actual movie Fantasia like uh, you know, you've seen some of them in clips on YouTube or used to be in the bonus features like the Claire de Lune segment is included on there. It's uh, it's an amazing, amazing album. And the reason why I talked about it is because I've mentioned on the show many times that, you know, music is one of my biggest connections to Disney parks. That's one of the most important and special things for me. And I, as we've watched uh, park music, slowly 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 get pushed to the back and and not be released uh there hasn't been a lot of exciting updates in terms of disney music uh but the one thing that does stick out as exciting for disney music has been every time they've released a a new legacy collection album and i believe they're up to 14 now i know it started with lion king then went mary poppins sleeping beauty little mermaid fantasia pinocchio lady and the tramp uh, one celebrating 60 years of disneyland uh, cinderella toy story pocahontas aristocats robin hood beauty and the beast and then just just this year to celebrate the 25th anniversary of this 
this movie, uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, it had an album released as well. I guess that's last year now because we're in 2022 and we're legitimate recording this in 2022. So uh, that also doesn't help. But uh, it's uh, I don't know how many I just counted off there. If it was 14 or 15, but uh, I have every single one of them except for Hunchback, just because I've, I didn't I didn't get it for Christmas. So it'll go back on the list for a birthday present for someone to get me. But I have every single one of these and I I love them all equally. Uh, you know, it, they're not always perfect, but uh, most of them get all of the musical cues right. And it's like you can literally listen to the entire movie between scores and the soundtrack songs all in the correct order of how they they are in the movies not like on on older soundtracks that you buy where it might be all of the songs first and then all the score right. after it's right. that perfect order and you know it's it's some of the music that when i'm not in a great mood just like the park music i can put on the pinocchio album and that makes me so happy and the toy story one uh the fantasia one i've put i've put a lot of uh a lot of plays on that one as well too and if yet, I, I know a lot of people out there probably think that CDs are completely outdated, and I'm not disagreeing with you. But the artwork on these, it's all done by uh, Lorelei Bove, and it, it's so beautiful, and the music sounds great. So if you don't want to pick them up, at the very least, they have most, if not all of them, available streaming on like Apple Music and Spotify and such. I I highly recommend checking them out and. If you don't have a single one yet, you'll probably end up buying them all. They're addictive. <laughs> I have to catch up. I don't have them all. You know, it's funny. When I was preparing for this episode, I was listening to one of my favorite collections, albums. And it, it's the it's the Disneyland 50th anniversary, you know, mm-hmm. six CD set. And so I came across... This Epcot, uh, this Fantasia one that you selected, I almost selected it only because I have been a little disappointed with the output of Disney Music Emporium, and uh, I thought, you know, this was when they were when they were doing really grand things, and um, but then I then I saw this, the one that I chose, yeah. and thought. This one was really noteworthy, so I went with that one. No, it, so. it, it's a good one, and I, I have to agree with you, too. It's Disney Music Emporium, I feel like, has had waves of greatness. Uh, it's, you know, between some of the rare vinyl things that they chose to re-release, like a couple years ago when they did the, uh, the, the Enchanted Tiki Room soundtrack the re-release like mm-hmm. that was that was fantastic they've done they've done some really good ones but then it feels like it goes through these these lulls where it's just like we know what you want you want vinyl picture discs and it's like no i i don't want those these aren't these aren't just display pieces for me i actually want to listen to the music uh, i want i want a good a good actual artwork and and experience holding holding the entire album cover and such but uh yeah i i still think you know i need to pick up the hunchback cd but i'm i I just i fear that they are going to give this up one day so that's why i make sure i try to buy them all as quickly as i possibly can if i don't get them as gifts because i I there's so many more movies that they have to cover that need that need good releases of their soundtracks mm-hmm. and scores and 
I don't I don't want to be the reason why they don't continue on doing them. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you absolutely. Well, we hope you enjoy this new version, this this reimagined this week in Disney history. And who knows, we at some point down the road, we may come up with another idea for this. Mm-hmm. So, um, but we thought this is a fun way um, for Craig and I to get into more of a conversation about Disney history um, rather than it just putting Craig on the spot every week. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed this. Good. I did too. I did too. I'm looking forward to what we choose. I'm waiting for the day because we don't discuss in advance what we select. We just, like when I send Craig my, the script and all that, um, I didn't include what I had selected nope. in here. And so it'll be interesting because the day is going to come that we select the same one. Uh, you yeah. know, it's inevitable. Listen, so that'll I'm going to do my best to predict what you're going to choose. But I know one day, I know one day we're going to surprise <laughs> each other. Yeah. All right. Well, you know, I think after this episode, I'm the carousel is going to go on one of my must do. It's going to go on my must do list. Now that I know yeah. so much more about them, uh, no, no, yeah. it absolutely, it absolutely should. And you know, I know there are a lot of attractions at. The Disney parks that just spin around in circles, and you know, there's there's great things to be said about Dumbo. There's, like I already mentioned it once this episode. There's great things to be said about like, Jesse's Critter Carousel. It's so cute and adorable. And mm-hmm. whether or not it belongs in that park in Pixar Pier that is based on Pixar, that that's a different debate for a different time. But I, you know, there's something about a carousel just works and in the classic ones you can't can't go wrong it's the fun ones are also a great time but take take disneyland's carousel or magic kingdom's carousel and it's you you will not go wrong one thing that i i didn't mention is that the horses at the magic kingdom all have names too i could not find them online i'm gonna have to go to city hall next time i'm there you can't get a list of them but there are numbers on the carousel so that you can then associate the name of the horse with the number. Well, I um, hope we have a national velvet as well here too, which I also looked up as we were recording this to find out that national velvet is actually the name of a, a famous racehorse, or if it's not a famous racehorse, it was at least a famous movie back in the day starring mm-hmm. Mickey Rooney and, uh, and Elizabeth Taylor. Thank you very much. So yeah. now mm-hmm. I know more and uh, does not change my feelings on the name at all. Yeah, that is a classic film. That used to always be on television when I was a boy. Uh, it's I, it's on Blu-ray for $11.20, so I am uh, slightly considering it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, you know, one, one of the things over the holiday season, I had the opportunity to be at both Magic Kingdom and Disneyland for the holiday season. So I think I talked about Magic Kingdom a bit on a previous episode, but Disneyland was when we were on on our hiatus. And it's interesting to compare the two. Uh, first of all, I did, I did watch, uh, the, um, candlelight processional and I love candlelight processional. I love it at both Epcot and I love it at Disneyland. Um, Epcot, it's much more accessible. 
And you can get the dining package. You can get your guaranteed seat and all of that. That's, and it's wonderful. Not, not at Disneyland. Disneyland, unless you know somebody or, or, you know, you're, you know, you, you, you're not getting a seat unless there are some limited seats for guests. If you want to wait there all day or wait until the first show ends and everybody leaves and then grabs seat for the second show. Like one of the benches for the second show for the rabble. But I did, I did watch it. And, um, you know, I, I have to say, and, and without prejudice, the Disneyland one is much more grand and magnificent, mainly because, first of all, the venue, it's outdoors, um, not in a band shell kind of thing, but they're able to use the park's audio system for it. And, it is so enhanced by that. And the lighting, because it's in darkness, where um, the lighting is so much more dramatic. The, uh, so they, they have lighting effects that you just can't have when you're on a lit stage. And it's beautiful. That Hallelujah Chorus, when it is being broadcast, I mean, I, they, I would imagine you could hear it at the, at, at the hub. I mean, it is incredible. It just sends chills down your spine. And, and, and the Herald Trumpeters are, are standing atop Main Street Station. And I, I mean, it, it is glorious, just glorious. I'm glad that I, I decided I'm going to see this. And so that was terrific. But, uh, but, um, I was thinking about the difference between Magic Kingdom and Disneyland in terms of how they put on Christmas. And Magic Kingdom's is very grand. It's lovely. But Disneyland has a quiet elegance to it in, in terms because they're very old school with their decorations. And maybe it's because, you know, the park opened in 1955. They still have elements of that. Um, you know, we still have the beautiful shimmering icicles reflecting on the moat that gives the castle just looks so gorgeous and elegant in that bluish white glow and the of course the decorations they decorate the whole park Uh, not so much tomorrowland but they do decorate the whole park but also Unfortunately, It's a Small World was not working the day after I left. They reopened it. But the outside of it is just so glorious. And they were still doing the projection show on It's a Small World, which, again, it's old school because that was like the first projection show I think Disneyland had um, was that one for a Christmas show. And it's cute. Mm-hmm. But our fireworks show... It is, it has to be the original one, the original Christmas show. It is nothing but Christmas carols and hymns. Um, there is not a spot of a Disney song in it, but the castle effects are just, just different colored lights. There's no projections really, no nothing like that. And, and then it has the traditional fireworks show and it's just something so beautiful in its simplicity. All I just kept thinking was Disneyland is just so elegant in how they carry on um, Christmas. 
Yep. They're very different uh, yeah. from the other parks. Yeah, something about uh, Magic Kingdom, and obviously, the, the, Walt Disney World is my my home parks to it, and I I hope I don't come off sounding like you know just a obsessed Disneyland person in that way, but uh, to me, it, it again comes down to the the different the different audiences for the parks. Uh, Walt Disney World is is aimed at tourists and it's like it, it's almost as if it says you know we we acknowledge that it is a holiday season inside the parks and so we will make sure that you definitely can tell that it's different but not we're not making it all about that and you know it's it, you see it through the hotels too with giant trees in some of them and, and decorations galore in, in the hotels. But in the parks themselves, specifically Magic Kingdom as it is, it's just, it's, it's quiet the way it's done with just that, that up and down Main Street and in the castle and then kind of ending there. But with Disneyland, it just, it feels like it's taken in the different way of like, Yes, this is this is our home, and just like you would do in in your house, you decorate different rooms. You know, yeah, you might not necessarily decorate all your rooms. I'm sure there are people out there who do, but uh, it's more than just the you you decorate more than just the entryway <laughs> into the house. Uh, you 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 spread it out and around. So I just it it does. They both have two different feels, and neither one is right or wrong. I just I think mm-hmm. it comes down to preference. I mean, there's some people out there who aren't as into Christmas. You know, it might not be the holiday they celebrate, or they just never, you know, they never gravitated towards it. They're more Halloween people or different holidays, and and they probably would prefer more of an approach of Walt Disney World and Magic Kingdom. Whereas, you know, I'm I'm already ready to live the holidays. 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. So I, I just, I connect more with Disneyland's, but it's, it, it's nice that it's two separate experiences that it, it makes agree. you want to visit both coasts. That's exactly what I was thinking because they both have different things to offer and one isn't better than the other. I enjoyed both thoroughly. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, and of course, Walt Disney World has four parks and many resorts to decorate, so the experience is spread out. Whereas, you know, Disneyland, it's very concentrated, um, the decorations. But, you know, it's funny you said that how, you know, the decorations at Disneyland, because on Facebook memories the other day, I guess uh, back in 2010, I must have been at Disneyland at this time. And, and I was with Nancy and Mary Jo and, you know, Carol, because there's photos of all of us. But one of them is, it's a photo of It's a Small World came up. The, it's facade within its brilliant Christmas lights. And I wrote, my favorite overheard dis- guest comment is, there's too much Christmas here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so so that was so your comment about that made me think of that yeah i i am jealous and i i say it to you every time uh you've had the opportunity for candlelight in disneyland i i'm so jealous i've i've never gotten to experience it i i i'm sure i will be able to make it work one day and i i just i i like epcot's a lot but everything that you described is 
the issues I do have with the show. Uh, I feel like it's too, it it's just too crammed into that stage, and it feels like it feels like it's it doesn't fit in that small space that it's it should it's outgrown. And you know, there's people out there who prefer it that way because then it's if you want to watch it. You know, you have to you have to go in the stadium, and it's not pushed upon you. It's something that you you have to actively uh, go to. But I, I don't know. It just I don't like that theater in general for anything. Mm. I I feel like it needs a, a more grand uh, grand location at Walt Disney World that just allows it to breathe a little bit more and uh, give it give it give it a little bit more justice but uh, i will say it was wonderful uh experiencing it this year at walt disney world because you know they they did you mentioned the dining packages and there were some availability for it uh there was there was day of availability this year where you could go to regal eagle or um, the spice road table and oh, that's you nice. could book it the day of and a really really nice thing but i it, never seen this in all my years though uh they since they only had four restaurants or six total including the day of doing the packages they just did not have anyone who was showing up for the reserved seating for candlelight so basically shocking. it was like yeah it it was like the whole down the section closest to the stage was being used and then like the next four rows uh, the next four closest rows. And then after that, it was completely open for standby. So uh, it, it didn't matter who the narrator really was. I mean, you could, you could almost guarantee to get a standby seat. It, even, even if the show started, you could still hmm. most of the time when I saw it, it uh, not all the time. There was a couple of times, like my parents said with Jody Benson, it was a little bit more of a way sure. for her. I'm sure. But, I can only get standing room only with her unless yeah. I had, um, a dining package. Yeah. And, but like I went, um, and I released a video on it of on a gas tire doing it. And we were, we, I like waiting until the seven o'clock show. So it's a little bit darker. Well, it is dark at the five o'clock one when it starts, it's not dark. And then it gets there by the end of the show. It's just, it's not as, it's not as uh, special in that way, but at the five, you know, the five o'clock show, goes off at 5.15, I think. And at 5.30, they're still like, we're second in line for the next show so I can get the perfect spot that I want. And there's still, there's people just like constantly still going in. And like, I, I've never, never seen this because dining packages usually dominate the entire seating area. But this year, this year, because it was limited, so many standby guests had the chance uh, to mm-hmm. see the show and a lot a lot didn't i think a lot of people just didn't bother with candlelight this year because it's like you know the in the past it's always been if you're lucky you'll get in standby it's never guaranteed. right exactly uh, but that just that wasn't the case so uh, if you like that show this was this last year in 2021 was the year to do it and i hope it's a change moving forward because it, they did oversaturate it with dining packages and it's it shouldn't just be just dining packages but again disney is also a business so mm-hmm. it's their choice on how they want to make money the, another difference in staging between disneyland and um, epcot is that the 
At Epcot, the narrator is always center stage, so the focus is very much on them. And you know in advance pretty much who it is. There's a schedule because there's so many, which is nice. There's so many different performances. Disneyland only does four performances. I think it's three or four. Mm -hmm. I think they do two on a Saturday, two on a Sunday. And they don't like to announce who the narrator is, but the narrator is way off to the side. Yeah. Um, and the, and, and then when the, when the narrator is not telling the Christmas story, they then sit down and the, their spotlight is turned off. And then so that the focus then shifts over to, um, the choirs and the orchestra. And, the, and that's that, that subtle change in staging. Uh, sort of, it, it's interesting because it changes the experience as you're, because then when the music is done, then it emphasizes, it goes, the emphasis then goes back to the narrator because they sort of dim the lights a little for the choir. They turn up the spotlight on the narrator and now you're completely focused on the story again. Exactly. Yep. Then he's done. And it's interesting how they shift your focus where they don't have that opportunity to do that at Epcot. So, um, it's subtle, but I think it has a, a profound effect on, on the presentation of candlelight and the telling of the Christmas story. So anyway, but both are wonderful. I mean, I would never give up an opportunity to see candlelight at Epcot. Yeah. I use several resources for this episode, including, uh, for books and magazines, I used e-ticket magazine number 35 from spring 2001. And then, and then Jim Corcus, friend of the show, he contributed a bit. Uh, the unofficial Disneyland 1955 companion by Jim Corcus, the secret stories of Disneyland by Jim Corcus, and secret stories of Walt Disney World by Jim Corcus. And then some websites and articles included the Horses of History, Walt Disney's King Arthur's Carousel, an article by the Walt Disney Family Museum. The Disney Wiki, they had, uh, Articles on both King Arthur Carousel and the Prince Charming Regal Carousel. MickeyMousePark.com had um, an articles had a series of articles on King Arthur Carousel. Mousers TV, uh, Prince Charming Regal Carousel, remembering the real magic of Walt Disney, and a Disney food blog, uh, the ride at Disney World that's twice as old as the park. So, Craig, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on all the different shows I'm on on the Diz Unplugged Podcast Network. Uh, and then you can always find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. And if you want to get in touch with me, you can always email me, Craig, at WDWinfo.com. What about you, Michael? You can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with both me and Craig on Twitter 
at Connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes on the link Craig includes in our show notes or at DisneyPlug.com. Look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. Well, thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. (laughs) 